but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his word. As we continue our series on 1 Corinthians, and in particular our series on 1 Corinthians 13 on love, sometimes I wonder, am I beating a dead horse? Is this sort of too much going over what love is week after week? And sometimes it, it feels as if it's, it's too much for us to process, too much for us to understand. But then you start to realize that all of our lives are about relationships. And in fact, a lot of the problems or issues that we have are because of relationships that have gone awry or gone astray. And so for us to say that we've talked too much about relationships or too much about love would not do justice to the evidence we have in Scripture, to the evidence we have in Christ and the way he relates with people and walks with people, the evidence we have in Paul of Paul's desire for his people to love one another. And so it's never too much to examine ourselves and to ask ourselves, do I know how to love? It's never too much 
to ask ourselves, am I loving the person here in this room, the people that I live with, the world that you have placed me in? And in fact, if we do not look to see how we can love and relate to other people according to what Scripture has taught us, then we become to live a life that becomes more and more isolated. A life in our tiny little room on our own. Perhaps a life is simply a few people that we choose to, as we like to define, love. But there's a greater thing that God is doing. His love for us that propels us to love one another is one of the chief signs that God is present and working. Without love amongst God's people, no one would dare say, and in fact, people would pity us above all else and say, you have your religion. You have the demands of Christianity. But there's no love. There's no peace. There's no understanding of who you are. You live by fear. You live by routine. And in fact, here in 1 Corinthians, we we see over and over again that the purpose of this passage is for us to start in the first places that God wants us to start. In order for us to renew our ability to love our families, to renew our ability to love the people in this world, we have to start with where God wants us to start. And that's simply loving the people in our church to love one another, the people that are here. Because it's in loving the family of God, the oneness that he has made us, that enables us to understand what love truly looks like. To have a place that we can fail, to have a place that we can succeed, to have a place that we can praise God, to have a place where we depend upon God to show love to one another is the place that God desires us first and foremost to invest ourselves. Because something beautiful happens after that. You learn to love those family members who still do not know Christ yet. You learn to love those people in the workplace that are, seem very irritable. And you learn to love that person, yes, who seems to be driving 45 miles per hour on the left lane and you're stuck behind them. But if you do not seek to love the body of Christ first, and to gain the, the blessings and the power that is there. To try to love people 
outside this world becomes very difficult. And so we continue this journey together to put first things first, to create a body of Christ that learns the elements that we see here of loving one another. Today we look at three sort of different adjectives of what Paul says love is not or what love does not do. We are going to look at verse 5 today. Love does not insist on its own way. Love, it is not irritable, nor is it resentful. Paul again continues this description of love, not in the positive, but in the negative. Paul seeks to expose our hearts by what is there already. He seeks for you to see that there exists in your life this insistence to have your own way. This heart and this mentality of being easily irritable or easily provoked in all things. And exposed to, seeks to expose the, the positive or what exists, the reality in your mind of, yes, you are people who count wrongs. And God wants you, or Paul wants you to analyze yourself in this way so that you will know what you need to repent of. And to ask yourself what is the contrary. And to seek God's wisdom. What it means not to insist on your own way. Not to be easily provoked or irritable. Not to be resentful or not keep count or record of wrongs. So let's dive into this. First, love does not insist on its own way. Now, I, I think for, for many of us, we, 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 we understand this very much explicitly. Love does not mean getting your way any time and every time that you want. Love is not simply saying, hey, we are going to go out and eat at in and out Burger because that's where I want to eat. It doesn't matter if you're vegetarian. We're going to in and out Burger. You can have the french fries. They're vegetables. <laughs> you could have the hamburger without the meat. We can sort of recognize this very clearly that when we say love does not insist on its own way, that it's not someone being selfish of bringing other people into their lives in such a way to do what they want to do. But another way to look at this, especially in our context here, is that love is not manipulative. Manipulative. Love does not seek to manipulate other people in such a way that you get what you want without them realizing that you got what you want until later on they realize, hey, you tricked me. You tricked me into going seeing this horrible Marvel movie. I wanted to go see The Notebook. 
You tricked me into giving my time and energy into something that I thought was good for all of us, but I realized it was only good for you. And this is something that, that many of us, when I look out here, who are Asian, are very good at doing. Because we know that we can't sort of say right out loud, hey, I don't want to do this. This is, this is not what I want to do. There's a reason why we stand here for a long time trying to figure out where we're going to eat. There's a re reason why we as Asians, we, we're a consensus culture. We try to build a consensus. But no one wants to be that person who's wrong or be that person who instigates. We have this sort of, this, this, it, it's, it's, Something called a Montai. Oh, I can't, I can't, can't go. That was good. anyway. But it's, it's sort of like the system that we have of chaos, and no one is actually leading it. We're just hoping it finds some sort of equilibrium, and then we all decide to go eat Korean for a day. But there are many of us who understand and know that we we, we can't say no to our our authority, but we seek to manipulate the environment, the circumstances to get what we want. We see our children do this to us all the time. We see our friends do this to us all the time. In Korean, we, we have this wonderful uh, um, word, egyo, right? Which is basically someone who's like says to you, honey, can we go please? And when guys do it, when guys, guys, please don't do it, but you know, you see guys do it. Come on, let's, let's go. You know you really want to go. And there it's out in the open, so it's cute. You know you're being manipulated. <laughs> but the bottom line is this, Right? When we say love does not seek its own way, it's that love does not seek to satisfy what I want. It's not inward focus. But love is always outward focus. To see what another person desires. To see what would make them happy and joyful. Love does not insist on its own way. Second, love is not easily provoked. The, the translation here has irritable. And it's, it's a good translation. It's a good translation. Um, but the translation of irritable and resentful is basically sort of they're, they're, they're making a, uh, um, an exegetical jump in terms of what does it mean if you're not easily provoked? Well, if you're not easily provoked, then the sort of emotional state you'll get into is being irritable. And we'll see the same thing with resentful as well. And so what they're saying is that love does not get provoked easily. 
And in a sense, if you get someone who gets provoked easily, they say you're, you're sort of irritable. You let things get under your skin too much. And oftentimes, the, the sign of this, is, it's very simple, right? You, 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 you say something very, it seems very, very innocuous. You say something, hey, let's go see, a, let's go see um, uh, Captain Marvel. And they're like, no, I don't want to see Captain Marvel. What do you mean Captain Marvel? Why do we always have to see Captain Marvel? Why do you to? And you're like, what happened? Where is this coming from? Or even more so, when you ask someone to do something. Perhaps I ask some of you, hey, you know what, let's, we need to put these chairs back. Let's put these chairs back. Okay? And I ask you, in my kind, nice voice, in my loving voice, I, let's all put these chairs back. Let's all clean up. And I see you guys cleaning up, but I see that you're under your breath. You're like, I can't believe Pastor Young is making us clean up. You take the chairs and you're going, you, and you, you put everything away, you clean everything away, and then you go, we're done, Pastor Young. And you just smile at me. Even though you did the action, even though you did what was requested of you, There is no love in what you did. There was just someone who was simply easily provoked out of a simple request and becomes irritable. If you have your bulletins, look at, look at verse 1 and look at verse 2. And let's do a very simple exercise for us to see sort of how love is the opposite of irritability. Maybe this will strike a chord with you. What if we read this passage this way? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I'm irritable, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and I have a faith, I have all faith so as to move the mountains, but I am irritable. I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I'm irritable, I gain nothing. And so here in this little statement, we see that the irritability, no matter how good our intentions and our actions are, no matter how much in, this, in our context in 1 Corinthians 13, how much we serve one another, if we're irritable in doing it, you gain nothing. The church gains nothing. And Christ's name gains nothing. There's a joy when Christ calls us to love. When we do so in such a way that we're joyful to do the things that God has given us to do. 
and there's a smile on your face. And we see everything as the opportunity to serve one another, to have conversation, to enjoy each other. Let's clean up, Pastor Young says, or I say. And you go, okay, let's clean up. And as you clean up, see the person next to you, you go, hey, how was your day? How was your week? What are you up to these days? Anything I can pray for you? Love is not easily provoked. Thirdly and lastly, love does not keep account of wrongs. So in the original language, it does not count wrongs or count evils. And here in our translation, it says it's not resentful. Um, I like to think of it this way. That resentful is, is one of the things that we, we can see um, coming out of someone who counts wrongs, someone who keeps grudges. But, but there are other things that could happen as well. And so let's go to the original context, the original language. Love does not count wrongs. Love is not something that keeps a scoreboard of any time someone has wronged you. Love does not look at those wrongs and add them up and then look at your side and for some reason, for some reason, your side is always blank and the other side is always filled. Oh, but if you're a really good Christian, you'll put a couple there just to make yourself look good. But there's a tendency in the Christian circles and just in our own hearts that when we're wronged, we, we store that in the back of our heads. You know, you know, one of the things I always wish and dream when I was a student is I wish I had a, hard, a bigger hard drive in my head to keep all the information that, that I'm learning. You know, sometimes education feels like drinking from a fire hose, right? You want a, a bigger hard drive that can keep all that information. But you know what? Somehow when someone wrongs me, there's enough space in there for me. I don't need an upgrade for that. For some reason, other things get erased, but that sticks there. And so Paul is telling us there's a tendency in the human heart to keep those records of all the times that people have sinned against us and to hold it there. And how you use it is, is different. Some of you will just be resentful. How come so-and-so gets more leeway than me? You don't rebuke him as harshly as you do me. Why does so-and-so seem to get more attention than me? Why is it that when you wrong, oh, sorry, when, when, when you have wronged me, 
so I'm, I'm, I'm mixing, sorry. Let me go back, erase, okay. Ooh, <laughs> it happens, it happens. Um, why is it that in keeping the records of, of what is wrong, that we get resentful? We get resentful because we feel like it's unfair. It's unfair that you are allowed to get away with things and do things that I can't get away with. And you count those wrongs. Some of you, though, you just get angry when you keep counting those records of wrongs. And, and, and you know what I, and, you, and I hope you know, know what I mean. It's, it's when like something happens in your relationship and all of a sudden, all the wrongs that a person did to you, it just sort of comes out like a flood. It's like all of a sudden, it's like you're, you're just downloading everything. It just, just comes out. And, and, and you sit there. And as the person is telling you all the wrongs you've done there, you hear everything. And you're amazed at their memory. <laughs> I'm amazed. And I'm amazed that they remember. And I'm amazed that they're actually right of what I've done wrong. And the person who receives that, 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 that tidal wave of those records of wrongs becomes what? Humiliated. not love. That's not what God calls the body of Christ to do. You see, all three of this, these, love does not insist on its own way. Love is not easily provoked. Love does not keep account of wrongs. There's, there's, there's a couple things here that, that we have to see that the, the, the effects of our hearts and the effects of the community. One is that this is all self-centeredness at its core. And it's a self-centeredness that actually has a potential to be very explosive. When you insist on your own way, you wreak harm to the other. When you're easily provoked and irritable, you easily put the other person in a defensive mode. Have you ever been with someone, you ask them a favor to do something, and they do it, but they're irritated by it? How does that make you feel? It's like, I'm not going to ask that person again. I, I don't know what to do. You wreak violence on that other person if you count wrongs and they see resentment or if you lash out on them with, with the list that you have, you do violence to the other. And that's not love. 
Think about your friendships and relationships. Does, your, does the other person feel safe? Does the other person, when you, when you have conversations with them, do they feel manipulated? Do they feel heard and loved? Is the other person irritable? Or are you irritable to such an extent that people have stopped sharing their lives with you? And lastly, are people walking on pins and needles around you because they know that you know everything about them and you've let them know that? This destroys the fabric of any relationship. It destroys your friendships. It destroys the body of Christ. The second thing it does is it puts undue amount of time thinking about yourself and thinking about how to get your own way. So love does violence not only to the other, but love does violence, but sorry, this, the, when you do these things, it does violence not only to the other, but also to yourself. You're always thinking about, how can I get what I want? When you're irritable or easily provoked, you're thinking about, why didn't I get what I want? And when you keep a record of wrongs, you're thinking about, why is it I didn't get what I deserve to get? And why they did. And this puts you in a place of not peace, of not joy, of not an otherness, but an inwardness. One of the reasons, perhaps, and I'm like I said, this is, there's a lot of different reasons, but perhaps one of the reasons why it's so difficult for you to have brothers and sisters in Christ who you can love and be loved by is because you are insisting on your own way. My brother in Christ needs to do X, Y, and Z for me, be available at these times, be able to speak to me in these ways. Perhaps you're just a very irritable person. Maybe that's why. How deep have your relationships gone? You know, if someone hasn't rebuked you for a while, perhaps it's because you are easily provoked. You're easily defensive. And that destroys relationships. Or perhaps a reason why your fellowship with brothers and sisters aren't going well is because you are the one who keeps count of all the wrong things that's ever happened. And unbeknownst to you, you're the person who is the gossiper 
and you don't even know it. This happens more often than, um, than you would think. Is that the person who gossips? The person who tells all the people the wrongs that have happened? They're usually not aware of it. But people start sharing with you less. But the reverse of all of this is what? Love does not insist on its own way. Love looks out for the other. Hey, how are you? What would you like to eat? Yeah, okay, let's go. What would you like to do? Okay, let's go see this movie. That's great, let's go see it. They feel honored. Why? because you're willing to do something they enjoy and to share in that with them. Love is not easily provoked. You're assured in yourself and your relationship with the Lord that whatever provocation happens, you're just like, love covers over a multitude of sins. It's not a big deal. Let's move on. Let's talk about real things. So what, you took my parking spot? So what, you took the last bottle of, of water? It's not a big deal. How are you? How are you doing? Love does not count wrongs. Start afresh each and every moment. Love sees to, seeks to see God glorified in our relationships with one another. God wants us to love each other so that his presence can be seen in our midst. In our love for one another, the way we speak, the way we act, the way we sacrifice to one another is the biggest signpost to the world that Jesus is alive. And Jesus himself, do you not love us this own way? You know your Savior, Jesus Christ? He did not insist on his own way, did he? He did what the Father told him to do. Jesus did not have to die for you. He didn't. He, he, he didn't. That's why it's love. It's a choice that he made. Somehow in that council between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, there came an agreement to save the lost, to save his people. But we saw that Jesus here on this life, in this world, he did not insist on his own way. But when he died on the cross, even though he knew that it would be painful. Jesus was not easily provoked.
do not lash out. On that ultimate cosmic level, he took all of our provocations against him. And not just apparent slights, but real sins against him. And allowed his body to take our sins. And lastly, and this is not the gospel, God does not keep a record of your wrongs. As far as the east is from the west, so God has separate your his sins from him. That God himself sees you as clean and pure in Christ. That you have received his perfect love. That when you go to God, you don't go to God and say, God, you know, I, I've done so many wrongs and I don't know if I can come to you. No, you, we come to God and go, God, I've done so many wrongs. I've done so many things, but you love me and I'm here. And God, you know I'm going to continue to these, do these same wrongs and, and I'm trying and I need your help and I need your power, but I'm here and you, you welcome me. This is the Christ. This is the God that we have. And when we as God's people rest in that perfect love and we ask God to forgive us of our imperfectness, then can we seek to love one another. Brothers and sisters, go to the cross. Meditate on Jesus' perfect love for you. If you're someone who's someone who, who, who manipulates and insists on his own way, look, go to Jesus and go, thank you that you didn't do that to me. You love me. If you're someone who easily provoked, you're irritable all the time, you're an old curmudgeon, even though you're only like 26 years old, go to the cross and say, Lord, thank you that you are not easily provoked, you're not irritable, that you're loving. And if you're a person who likes to keep records of wrongs, keep grudges, Go to Jesus and Jesus, thank you that you did not keep a record of wrongs against me. And bask in his love and what he's done for you. And then go and be courageous. Love one another. We must love in the church first. Why? Because amongst us is the Holy Spirit. There is a confidence that we have in knowing that because we worship the same God, have the same spirit that sanctifies us, that if we learn to love one another, God will definitely bless it. And with that love that he's shown us and these and and us as individuals and us as a people. And God gives us the power 
even more power and courage to love a world that doesn't know him. Let us make God manifest here in our church. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy. We ask of you, Lord God, that you would just bless bless us, Lord God, with the knowledge of your salvation. Bless us, Lord God, with, with the acknowledgement of the power that we already possess and have. Lord, we do not have to create this power to love. We do not have to create these, these ministries, Lord, to, to uh, learn how to not to provoke one another and things like that. This is all given to us by your Spirit. And we are simply walking in the ways that you have prepared for us to do. So, Lord, I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would think about the relationships that we have, Lord. When are we easily provoked? When are we irritable? When do we manipulate? Who do we like to manipulate? Who is it that we keep a record of wrong against? And help us, Lord, to repent of those. And instead, Lord, to seek to love these people in such a way that's consonant with your scripture. That we learn to love these people, Lord, that does not come from our own power, our own grit, Lord, but a power that comes from repentance and a power that comes from your spirit. And may we do so, Lord, that not only would you be glorified, Lord Jesus, but that we would have peace in our hearts. That we would see Jesus manifest in our hearts. That Jesus' presence, Lord, would give us the, uh, the tranquility. We thank you, Lord. We have promised to do these things to change your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.